1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door
0: with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a Android like basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers think basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just cause you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team.
1: Hello, welcome everybody back again already to the Los Angeles Lakers basketball podcast. My name is Tom Zayas, uh, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball. And uh, Tim, last night the Lakers went up uh, 1-0 on the Denver Nuggets, uh, 126-114. Seemed to be a pretty dominant performance after the a close first quarter. The Lakers defense really put the clamps on. Today we're going to talk about some of that. So we were really interested in how the Lakers defended the Nuggets' pick and roll, Jokic in the post. Maybe get into what the Lakers did to draw so many fouls to get their advantage there, and other stuff as well. So, uh, Tim, just starting off generally, I have some opening thoughts on, on the game, but I want to get you going. What so much of what we talked about yesterday felt like it happened, right? Like we can talk about that we already did. What what happened yesterday that surprised you, I guess, or that you weren't expecting?
0: I. Ooh, like you said, we saw a lot of what we expected to see in terms of how the teams would attack, how they might adjust. I think Denver left a couple things on the floor last night in terms of adjustments they could have made. We definitely got to see, you know, all eyes were on the best big man in the NBA last night. And he had four assists and Jokic only had two assists. Yo- I was really surprised. Jokic did not have an assist anytime he was playing against a big Laker lineup, the only two assists he had were in the first quarter. Murray, Murray's last assist was in, I also believe, the first quarter. Or no, it might have been second quarter. But the two of them, even, you know, they, they did sit the fourth quarter, but the two of them barely were able to create anything for their teammates. And, like, I, I figured Ellie would try to target that, and we talked about shutting down those offensive engines with the pick and roll and the post-ups, but they just blanketed those two. Um, So that really stood out And just the fact that It felt like L.A. was in control Pretty much that whole game And and I know We'll we'll talk about the fouls I think there were just Justifiable You know Fouls that weren't That shouldn't have been called But Despite all of that L.A. just had Just was outright dominant Um, And there were a couple things That we saw that I don't expect Denver to be able to Adjust around And are, are going to continue We're going to continue Seeing them throughout the series L.A is going to play fast. They're going to have an edge when they're, you know, jumping, getting lobs. They're going to have an edge with strength. Like we saw Dwight just bury Jokic. Jokic had his head under the rim when Dwight was posting him up on that one foul he drew. Like under the rim. That is that is what you do to like me or Rajan yeah. Rondo or Alex Cruz. He was doing that to their starting center. He, his His head was under the rim. Like that is a guaranteed foul or dunk every single time. Um, it was that's insane. Like that's what he did to Carmelo Anthony. Dwight was Dwight is just huge, man. Dwight is ah. Dwight yeah. had a great game. I think um, an amazing, that was amazing. Oh my goodness, the offensive rebounding. Uh, we'll we'll get into the numbers in a little bit, but like when Dwight was out there, even when Dwight wasn't out there, LA did a great job. I don't think the box score does LA justice. I think in the fourth quarter, Denver kind of caught up a little bit, but. The, the Lakers were killing it on the offensive boards. They were drawing fouls on the offensive boards. Just the power that we saw with the Lakers just getting to the rim um, compared to like Jamal Murray, who's trying to finish around guys. LeBron's just creating driving lanes that weren't there. It was mm, all those things. They're better. They're faster. They're stronger. They were more powerful. They could jump higher. It was just all of those from an athleticism standpoint. I don't, there, there aren't as many ways that you can make that up compared to some of the, the tactical X's and O's thing so that was a big takeaway for me is we saw a lot of the advantages we thought we'd see and a lot of those advantages aren't going away so Denver's in huge trouble for this series
1: yeah I mean we talked about how we thought Dwight would would be important but I don't think it would be this game-wrecking he was clearly game-wrecking in that second quarter to spur that 17 to 1 Lakers run to start the second also another guy we talked about yesterday I thought played really really well was Markeith Morris some of those lineups he were in didn't do well, but I thought he individually did. Uh, when he was with Dwight, he was he was on the weak side. Like he got a, a steal off of a you know they're playing drop coverage with Dwight Murray tries to hit the little like you know guy on the wing, and and Keith kind of sold that he was going to tag the roll man, and then it was eyes on ball the whole time, like read it, jumped it. And that's two points going the other way. You know, Marquise hitting threes as well, three for four from three. Really just those role players, like I said, KCP with 18, all that's found money. And especially teams are going to be, you know, either bigger or faster than you. Not all the time are they both, you know, and this is a uniquely bad matchup for the Nuggets as we talked about yesterday. Initial takeaways, it looks promising. You know, that first quarter had me worried. Um, we're going to get into how the Lakers defended the the Nuggets in the pick-and-roll specifically right now. But I just wanted to point out first, the Lakers gave up, to what I calculated, 10 points on five pick-and-roll possessions in the first quarter. Is that good, Tim?
0: Uh, that is not so good. Um, but after that point, LA really really yes. clamped things down. Yes, But um, that first quarter, yeah, I definitely saw. First quarter, that's when Denver had it going. Other than maybe a minute at the end of the third quarter, the second half of the first quarter, were the, that was the only time that we got to see Denver and Jokic attack a small ball Laker team. And when that happened, Denver had a ton of success. And I think this is something that we shouldn't gloss over. L.A. won the game. They, were, they controlled it. The score, line, the score doesn't do the game justice. L.A. really dominated. But when Denver was able to play those small ball Laker lineups with Jokic in the game, which was only seven of his 25 minutes... He scored nine points. He had two offensive rebounds, both of his assists, in just seven minutes. Mm -hmm. In his other, what, 18 minutes, he only had 12 points and two offensive rebounds, zero assists. So when we had, even when JaVale was out there, he did a good job. Wasn't, I mean, he's clearly not the same defender in these situations as Dwight is or even AD. And he, he did make some mistakes, but he's got the effort he's he's better uh, defensively than some of those small ball lineups. Like we had, we had the one lineup with um, Caruso and Rondo out there. And at one point, Jokic got the ball in the post and you got a, like a double team with those two on him. And it looks like there's just like a big kid who like stole a, a toy from two little kids <laughs> at the playground and is just holding it up in the air. And, you know, they're jumping and trying to get it. Um, so those sorts of situations, Denver had when they wanted them, when we played small. They just didn't seem to want them enough. They weren't purposeful about that advantage. And they only had it for seven minutes for the whole game. So if LA can kind of hold their own during those seven minutes, um, and I think that's a lot of, of where the pick and roll was working, LA will, will fare well. Because when we had our big guys out there, we did, a, we did a pretty good job.
1: Yeah, no, I think this is also a unique situation. We'll talk about fouls later, like you said. But, you know, Jokic's minutes were way down, too. So he's not going to sit that early in the second. And... And it's going to be a lot more difficult to go on a run like that because he's just such a great offensive engine. To your point, the the points uh, after that. So I kind of marked when garbage time started to me, like eight minutes left in the fourth when LeBron came out. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, the score is way closer than it indicated for that reason. But so between that or uh, after the first quarter and before garbage time. I counted that the Lakers gave up 26 points on 25 possessions in the pick and roll, including pass outs. And like you said, like some of that came from fouling. And but what I really noticed was that the Lakers were able to really take away the rotation, the closeout attack, close out, pitch it out, and out to the corner three. They didn't get a lot of those role player shots for Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant. And I think that's part of because the Lakers want to play Jokic straight up. You know, they're gonna they did a combination of drop coverage and switching in the pick and roll today or last night, excuse me. So they did a really good job at, at recovering onto shooters, and they just have the size. If if Gary Harris is trying to, you know, attack a closeout on Anthony Davis, as he did one time, he just got, you know, swallowed. Through the the first half, 24 points, 21 possessions. That's still above one per possession, so it's, that's not the best defense in the world. How can the Lakers defend the the Nuggets a little bit better in that the next game.
0: Yeah, so I think like you mentioned, some of it wasn't directly from the action itself. If we're just looking at the success that Denver had on those possessions, it was right around one point per possession. If you just look at the direct scoring chances that they were creating from that, um, which won't happen as much when you're switching, they were only scoring about 0.85 points per possession. So like, they weren't just running this action and getting something right off the bat it was taking an extra four or five or six seconds to pass the ball around get the guys in the right position a lot of times jokic was popping instead of rolling and and that can work when you're playing drop coverage but a lot of times what ellie would do was either they would switch immediately or they would have whoever that big is i would almost call it a, a catch hedge or or it wasn't quite a, like a hard aggressive hedge where you really step out but he was at the level of the ball, and then you back up as the ball handler comes towards you. You don't want to get beat, but you want to be close enough that you can contest. So I'm going to call, for, for our purposes, I'll call that a harder hedge. But if Murray didn't attack that, Ellie would switch back. And if he did attack that, then it would turn into a switch. But either way, Jokic was popping a lot, and we had a guy there, so he wasn't able to get those pick and pops. But once, we, once he had that mismatch, it would take him, either if he gets the ball at the three-point line, he's not doing a whole lot there, it would take him a couple seconds to get into the post and try to exploit that mismatch. And the Lakers did a really good job this game of off-ball switching Mm -hmm. to get bigger guys back onto Jokic. This was really smart by them. This is something we saw just a tiny bit last series, more from a keep a rim protector in position to contest a drive. Um, But but for this series, it's going to be about keeping, you know, the best matchups we can on Jokic and Murray. Some of the points that were scored from those pick and rolls were... You know, role players getting the ball with five seconds left with no advantage and needing to create something. So there was a lot of poor shot quality. There was a lot of last minute shot creation that I'm okay with. For Murray in in Jokic overall, I had them at one point three points per possession if you include everything. But again, that's I don't know. It, it, the Lakers did better than that. And overall for Murray, he was at one point one on the game. And I think a reason for that was when you didn't have Jokic out there, LA was able to hard hedge and more agra- aggressively go after murray force the ball out of his hands and then Millsap or plumlee they're not doing anything from that perspective we talked about this last pot in those four on three situations Jokic will kill you those two guys won't um and and we saw la adjust their coverages based on who was in that pick and roll so i think we did a good job running the right coverages i think we need more of that off ball switching uh it, overall like i'm i'm pretty happy and the thing is even if Denver scores 1.1 points per possession, that is, you know, 110 offensive rating. The Lakers are killing them on the other end. So I'm happy with that. Maybe not against every single team. That's that's the best defense in the world. But to me, any time that we're around that mark or better, that is a huge win for the Lakers. And the fact that so much of this offense is coming not directly from the action and it has to come later in the shot clock, just naturally, the later in the shot clock it happens, the less efficient those shots tend to be because you you have less opportunity to turn down a good shot for a great shot at some point you just need to take the good shot or the okay shot or even the bad shot just because you don't have many more opportunities based on the shot clock so making Denver have to delay create things that aren't there we really negated the action they just ran some good offense afterwards but I'm pretty happy with it I want more off ball switching um if we look at handoffs too and we don't just count the the pick and rolls from handoffs Denver was even less efficient they ran what uh, let me look at my notes here they ran I had eight of those counted between Jokic and Murray and we saw what a two-pointer missed a two-pointer missed a two-pointer missed a two-pointer made a turnover two three-pointers that were missed and a two-pointer missed that's pretty good defense and we saw a lot of the same sorts of situations, a lot of the same switches. Or we'll we'll have that big guy kind of hedge, and then if you go after him, we'll switch. If you don't go after him, we'll switch back. Um, so I, I think that's smart. Not giving up an automatic switch is is good defense. You never just want to let the offense dictate what the matchups will be, unless they truly are pressuring you enough for, that you need to switch.
1: I thought we switched too easily in this game at points. What, what did you What do you think about that?
0: I think we did when we played small Mm -hmm. a bit, and I think early in the game we may have as well. As the game went on, I think L.A. did a little bit better than that, but I don't know. Overall, I agree with you. I think that we could really lock that down a bit. Um, Another thing that we messed up were just a couple times we just completely blew our hedges. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one time early in the game where LeBron's man went to set a screen and he didn't really even bother to try to stop Murray from turning the corner. Yeah, that was that little like
1: nice little Euro step that he had.
0: Yep. And then there was another time where Mark Heath was the screener and he didn't seem to be understanding what was going on. <laughs> uh, and, and, and his man actually, it was a handoff. So this is, this is where your guys really need to be locked in mentally in a pick and roll. You, your brain goes, Oh, okay. It's time for me to go hard hedge or drop or switch or whatever it is in a handoff situation. If you're defending like Mason Plumley and he's not a threat to shoot and you're sagging off of him. If that suddenly turns into, Oh shoot. Murray's you know sprinting to him for a handoff, you're out of position if you're not paying attention. So we saw that, we saw him not be in position. It gave up a wide open three-point shot, but it just didn't go in. So LA got lucky, but we were a little sloppy. We gave up some switches too easily, but I think from a game planning standpoint and mostly with our execution, we did a good job and I really like those off-ball switches we saw as well.
1: So I want to point to this this specific play at the beginning of the third quarter. It's 11 minutes to go. It's a Murray Jokic pick and roll and I think this is a little bit of Something you kind of talked about, too, about kind of, you know, soft doubling Jokic. At the beginning of this play, uh, they do a Murray-Jokic pick and roll. And it's KCP and Dwight Howard, so they switch it. Uh, Jokic goes to the top of the key, and KCP sprints down to get the ball out of Murray's hands. It's Dwight and KCP.
0: I remember this one.
1: Yes. It's Dwight and KCP pinch down onto Murray, get the ball up to Jokic. Danny Green at this the is top the wing, right? Danny Green at the wing swings up to Jokic to get the ball out of Jokic's hands, and that means Gary Harris cuts behind him, so Dwight switches run to him, you know, to take away that cut. And uh, this play ends in a Jokic layup. But my point is, I I want Jokic at the top of the key, putting the ball on the ground, going to the rim. That's going to tire him out. That's not what he's great at. I he is. He's great at hitting those bunnies, but. That's where I think we can push him into making tough shots instead of these open threes and, and you know, wide open, um, like, post, you know, cuts.
0: Yeah. If we need to make him work with the ball in his hands to get into the right position to take advantage of a mismatch in the post, LA's in a good position. I I, I mean, it's not the best spot in the world to to have a mismatch, but... I mean, it's, you, you ideally don't want to have a mismatch, but if you do, I want it to be at the three-point line. I want him to have to work and get past Alex Crusoe or Danny Green or KCP. And these guys with quick hands, um, even hell, even Dwight Howard, was his hands were all over the place. The second he checked in, I think he had like two or three deflections in the first couple of minutes. Just make him work, maybe not as much physically versus those small guys, but need to technically be sound, not get the ball poked away, work his way down to the paint, and then try to attack. And that gives you a chance to do those off-ball switches or send that extra help and scramble Caruso out of there, or KCP out of there, or Green out of there, whoever it is. But anytime Denver is doing what they're doing with that pick-and-roll and having him pop, that's the situation they're going to have, and, and that's a win for LA. So I expect for the next game, we're going to see Denver enter the game knowing they're going to get switches, knowing that the, the end game there is, you know, Murray can try to attack Dwight off the dribble, He's not great at getting to the rim. Like we mentioned last time, yeah. he has a D grade in our B-ball index uh, getting to rim metric, which looks at how often you're getting to the rim unassisted per 100 possessions on the court, and then the percentage of your shots at the rim that are unassisted. So he's, for, for a guard with uh, among guys with 500 minutes, he's really not even that good at getting to the rim, and we have that extra rim protection back there. So the better matchup for Denver is getting Jokic to attack those small guys. Um, especially because that in the post is another way that he will create for others. Whereas him on the perimeter or Murray isolating from the perimeter, that doesn't get the rest of their team involved. So what they will likely do is moving forward, have Jokic, after he sets that screen, knows, let's say it's Caruso, he knows Caruso is going to be his guy, immediately turn and try to seal and back down Caruso and get into the post right away. This is something we saw the Cavaliers do really well when they had LeBron and Kevin Love As soon as Love would set that screen, he tried to seal that guy. Even sometimes it forces the switch because you go post that guy up; he can't go take the ball handler. um, But you you turn, you seal, you back him down. That would be a much better situation for Denver, and that will create more advantageous situations for the Nuggets. Because the way they they approached it in Game One, just you know, even after multiple quarters of us showing them the same look didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. And that's why the Lakers were able to shut this down even more than they otherwise would.
1: So let's talk a little bit about uh, more specific game two adjustments. I don't know about you, but I fully expect Dwight Howard to start and place of JaVale McGee.
0: Maybe. Here's what I'm thinking. I definitely want Dwight playing more than JaVale. I, one, this, I I don't know. Part of he me says, says, start your best guy off the bat. Part of me thinks If you start a game and you've got JaVale banging on Jokic and then he comes out and then AD's banging on Jokic, by the time we get to that second quarter, Jokic is fatigued a little. He's more likely to foul. He's less likely to be effective offensively. And that's when you stick our biggest bully in there to play him. Yeah. So
1: that would be the other argument. I disagree. But
0: I, 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 I can see it going both ways. Um, if Dwight can ha- see, the thing is, I'm not sure Dwight will be able to give us 20, so, but that's, that's
1: a different, that's a different answer then. Right. So that's a different question we should ask in, in a moment, but if you want to put your best
0: group off the start, then yeah, that, that would be the way, way to go. I would start Dwight. I think there could be an argument the other way, but that's up to Vogel. I can support it either way.
1: That's been Vogel's MO this playoffs. He, he started Marquise mm-hmm. in the Rockets series Really quickly. He's adjusted quickly. So, you know... But but the thing was,
0: when he's by the time he was starting Marquise, those big guys were out of the rotation. In between him doing what we did in game one and starting Marquise, there was a game or two where we would still start with JaVale and then we would just cut his minutes and and we cut Dwight out altogether. I think this might be a game where... Because to me, if I'm looking at minutes with JaVale versus small ball minutes... I still think, based off of what we see Denver do with Jokic against the Lakers small ball, it may be advantageous to have JaVale out there as opposed to cutting him all together. And if you're to have them out, him out there, I might just start out with it. I don't know. So, I, I I can go either way. I would support it. I'm just kind of uh, playing a little devil, devil devil's advocate I,
1: right now. I feel you, man. Um, I, I think that JaVale has proved himself to be mostly unplayable in the playoffs because the the type of... Um, adjustments that teams make and the way he's susceptible on the perimeter and a way that Dwight can recover a little bit better, you know, and and affect the play. JaVale just looks so unplayable to me. And I, I love the guy. It's it's if he can give you four good minutes at the top of the first and third quarter. Great. And, and I'm all like, I agree. Yeah. Get Dwight in there when Jokic is a little more labored, but I really don't see it happening and I can see it being a vulnerability where the Lakers get down five to seven points and, six minutes, you know, and then Dwight comes in and it might be too little too late.
0: um, Yeah, another way to look at it would be if you start off with Dwight and you can get Jokic in foul trouble in the first quarter instead of in the second or third quarter, that has a greater impact on the game because there's more time left that Jokic might be sitting instead of playing.
1: So, I mean, that's the, so the other question we kind of asked is if you do start Dwight, how do you kind of make up those other minutes? He can't play a full Jokic level complement of minutes against him. How do you put AD on him in the in the other time? Do you you know? I thought Markeith did a pretty good job on him. The couple possessions he he had uh, straight up, but I, again, that small ball Lakers lineup was really susceptible as well. But how do yeah? What do you think?
0: I think what I would do is start with Dwight, and then maybe maybe you play your AD at the five minutes, and then when the second Jokic goes out, you take him out of there, mm-hmm. and uh, you take Dwight out of there, and then you just try to mirror as much of Jokic's minutes with Dwight's minutes, you know, and, and that doesn't need to be perceived as a bad thing to him. To him, that can be, hey, man, we need you to be our Jokic stopper. We want you to take pride in this. We want you to make his life hell. And and he's gonna get minutes doing that. And if at a certain point he gets in foul trouble and fouls out, go throw Javel in there, I guess. Or or I don't know. You you may need to manage that game to game. But whenever Jokic isn't in the game, I would want to have like a small ball out there because you're only gonna get you know, 8 to 10 to maybe 12 minutes of that per game, assuming Jokic isn't in foul trouble. And I would much rather have small ball out there in non-Jokic minutes compared to having to defend what we saw them do in the second half of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter, which just was not working well for LA defensively.
1: So let's move on to another important part of Jokic's game that was really not very... Important in this, uh, in this one, these post ups. I counted. I mean, they were efficient. Don't get me wrong, but there was wasn't enough of it. I guess so I counted, mm-hmm. including pass outs, ten points on six possessions. And the other, the one, like the one possession that didn't result in points should have been, but Gary Harris missed an open three. He got a couple on Javale. He got a weird kind of like you know throw it up and under the basket prayer. How did he get that angle? But he's good at those. That's what he's known for. How do you keep that success going forward, limit those amount of possessions of Jokic in the post? And how do the Lakers adjust?
0: Yeah. So having the larger lineups out there helps. He went after JaVale a little bit, but I'm not sure. Like, did he get any post possessions against the White, like actually in the post? No. Maybe maybe one. I don't
1: um think so. whenever AJ and
0: Joy were on him, like he 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 we, we had him defended pretty well. Yeah. Um it was all in switches an early
1: offense, or you know, out of the pick and roll when they get Caruso on him, and you know those positions we kind of talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, and, and we saw guys locked in off ball, being aware, defending cup, cutters the right way. Um, I mean, we we saw them get a little bit of it, but if they're only scoring eight or ten total points from his post stops, like overall, that's a huge win for LA because you know if if he if he plus his passes are only getting you ten points, and Jokic is trying to get to I don't know. What does he need? 25 in a game, 30 in a game. He's not scoring 20 points on the perimeter. Not he won't because we're switching the pick and roll. So he's not getting open threes. Um, so he's going to have to do his damage down low. So considering the circumstance, even if it is uh, you know, eight points on six or ten points on six possessions, that I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world for LA because that means that the other ninety or eighty or however many possessions for Denver were Doing you know much more difficult things, especially because we know the end game weakness of the switching the pick and roll is those Jokic postups. So I would feel good about that. I think having mirroring his lineups with uh mirroring his minutes with bigger lineups would be smart. I think one time we saw a double team where they tried to scram a guard out of there, um, which is a little bit of what we talked about last pod. I'd love to see more of that if it does happen, but I, I don't know when he didn't have a small lineup to you know, be doubled against and and pass out of, he literally had zero assists. So I I feel pretty good about how we defended his post-ups. And even when we look at his fouls, which we'll look at in a little bit, only three of the eight fouls that Jokic drew in this game were in the paint. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of his fouls were, or most of the fouls that he got the Lakers to commit against him were some of his, you know, acting or flopping on the perimeter or hooking guys' arms and having that called on, like, Caruso or KCP or whoever. If he's not actually able to get to the post or score in the post or create out of, the, out of the post or draw fouls in the post, the Lakers will make this a quick series. And I think that's what we saw in game one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple principles I have here watching some of the the post possessions that Jokic had and, and where he was successful, especially in that first quarter, right? There's a play where Tory Craig entry, enters the pass and then cuts, you know, clear in the middle. And KCP... You know, when you do that as a guard, you're kind of, you know, you stunt toward the guy in the post just to kind of give him something to think about before, you know, and then sprint to the guy in the corner um, for the closeout so that he's he's stifled and doesn't have a place to pass the ball for an advantage. That this that's any other center in the league except Nikola Jokic. You can't do that on Nikola Jokic because he could pass the ball right over the top of you, and he knows exactly when to hit a cutting Craig, and you just can't double off of cutters on Jokic. You know, the guy clear and clear in the the lane you just can't do that there's another player one time. we
0: we we there was one time that we did double off of a cutter and he would he had his back to the basket so he wasn't really able to see the floor really well and we got a double team on him and he dumped it off to the cutter who was guarded because we had you know we we had three guys essentially what happened was we left a shooter open on the other side corner um we left that skip pass open in order to go you know clog up that paint and make those easier passes harder to pass for him because if he's facing up he can just stick the ball behind his head and, and do that over the head pass skip pass if he's not even facing where the skip pass would be and we need him under pressure with a big and a and a little on him rather than two guards need to make a decision quickly without being able to fully see everything that i think could be an advantageous situation for the lakers but you can't double him the way that the clippers did where you either right. have two guards on him or sending guys at him when he's facing off.
1: Well, it's it's in the Lakers' defense's identity to be on the aggressive side. So I understand why they want to do it. I just think you need to be careful doing it because Jokic will make you pay over. And in that first quarter, those two assists are not what we're used to from him, but that's where he got him. Mm-hmm. Then there was another one where in semi-transition, Jokic pulls up and goes into the high post against a mismatch, right? So Anthony Davis, you know, it's kind of shading to his side and loses sight of Torrey Craig, who just curls around. And the, my point being is, either you double or you don't on Jokic. There's no mm-hmm. kind of shading the the strong side to he's gonna. Those guys are good at cutting, and he's gonna find them because you're ball watching Jokic, and they're gonna back cut you and loop around and take angles you didn't expect because they know how Jokic can pass to them. You know, so either you double in that situation hard or you don't, but AD just took a step longer to get there, and I feel like that was why they got a layup out of it. Yep. So there's another one, too, is there was one possession in the third quarter where it was like a out-of-bounds play, and Jokic gets a post-up on AD, and he really tries to bowl him over and get position, and AD does a great job of, of being strong, giving up a little bit of position, but not much. Jokic is still under the basket, and then LeBron kind of sweeps over to help and swipes the ball and fouls him. You don't need to help Anthony Davis on Nicole Jokic. You know, if you're going to have Anthony Davis, use it as a strength of defense to not allow Torrey Craig to get a quarter three, you know, and I thought LeBron wasn't great on defense tonight. He he did okay. But I think when he was, he was reach he had another reach, you know, that was like, we were in the bonus and just gave him it's just stupid plays. So those are just yeah. a couple of my, I have a couple principles as to how to, Defend Nikola Jokic in the post. That I there are a couple of possessions I didn't like what I saw, and I think Denver can work to exploit that more in game two.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it, you you definitely cannot double like if you if you need to help your big men against him in the post, you're in huge trouble. You can't be sending double teams when AD or Jafail or Dwight are guarding him. When he's got those small guys on him, which I think we'll see more of next game with him probably rolling and sealing down low instead of picking and popping after he sets a a ball screen. I think we're going to see more situations where he is operating from the post and operating in a mismatch. I do still think that there are opportunities to double him if his back is to the basket and if you double hard. Because if you can make him need to make split-second passes, he'll make some of them. If they're skip passes, he'll make some of them. They're not going to be the strongest in the world, so you may have time to recover with the athleticism and speed LA has. So I I would venture to, to guess that we might see more Jokic post-ups next game and we'll probably see the Lakers be aggressive in particular spots, um, but not all the time, depending on how he approaches those post-ups. But yeah, I know they're g- great points. And for game one, this was a win for the Lakers yeah. in that perspective and, and a win in the game. Um, I think we definitely learned a little bit about what works, what didn't work. And I would anticipate Denver approaches game two smarter than they did this game. Um, and, and hopefully, well, not hopefully, but hopefully for them adjusting to the fact that L.A. is switching those pick and rolls and he's not going to be getting the pick and pop. So why have him stand at the three-point line if you're, he's going to have to go down to the post either with the ball in his hands or without the ball in his hands?
1: Yeah, it's Denver's M.O., right? To, they they gave up a double-digit loss to to the Clippers in Game 1. Uh, maybe they're kind of like the Lakers and they feel you out, play smarter, and make those adjustments. So one of the big narratives of this game, Tim, was was the fouls and the foul discrepancy, you might say. We are trying to put our objective hats on here. I I think most of the foul calls were okay. And there are a handful that were phantom bad calls in the Lakers' favor. But generally the Lakers were the more aggressive team. They're bigger, you know, stronger, faster, like we talked about. So those are gonna be advantageous position to the Lakers to just draw more fouls. That is them using their strength as their strength. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they shot, I think nine more free throws than the nuggets is pretty much the margin of victory, you know, so to speak. I thought the Lakers got a lot of those calls uh, and legitimately objectively, but I don't think counting on putting in Jokic in foul trouble is, is viable, right? Yeah. It's a great, cherry on top right but it can't be the crux of your defensive strategy is to attack him on offense there's some tic-tac fouls like I didn't think his third foul was like that's just you know Dwight Howard like getting in your head and Scott Foster making some lame call you know I'll give them that one but as a philosophy how do we keep putting the pressure on Jokic. So we put the pressure on the refs to call fouls on him on both sides of the ball.
0: It I, A lot of it actually plays really well into how the Lakers like to play, where their strengths are, and where the weaknesses are for Denver. And that's the Lakers want to run. They're going to get out in transition. When you're getting into transition, you're going to draw a foul yeah. one out of every four or five possessions just because that's the way it goes. And we saw that happen this game. A lot of the Lakers fouls that they drew we're in transition, and when you're drawing fouls in transition, usually it's it's going towards the rim. We talked about earlier how, so Jokic drew eight fouls, the most of any player in this game. Only three of them were in the paint. A lot of them were not really attacking. So the, having fewer of those be in, you know, positions where you're more likely to draw shooting fouls is, is beneficial for the Lakers. How often the Lakers were getting to the rim, I think is really important. Uh, We didn't see Denver get to the rim uh, nearly as much as we saw the Lakers get to the rim, and and that is going to impact how this happens. The Lakers have better rim protection. They're able to, they have guys that are legitimately able to go over, whether on ball or off ball, contest you at the rim and not foul as often. Whereas Plumlee and Jokic and Millsap aren't the same caliber of rim protectors. So a lot of times that means you you have to foul somebody because the offense has that advantage. There will be mistakes. I do not agree with every one of the calls that were made, but when you're the team that is doing a higher volume of the, you're putting the refs into more positions to be making those calls. If, if they're going to, you know, make a wrong call, one out of every five opportunities or one, yeah, we'll we'll say one out of every five opportunities. If we give you 25 opportunities, we're going to have more, you know, ambiguous calls in our favor than if you only give them 10 opportunities. Um, so playing LA's game, attacking Denver the way you want to attack them, plays right into drawing more fouls. Along with that, on the other side of the court, with, with Denver, we, we talked about when the Lakers were going big, Jokic wasn't attacking in the paint nearly as much. And we've talked about how Murray, his his that D-caliber getting to rim rating, if he's not getting to the rim, as a team, they don't have those self-creators, you know, penetrating and, and, and creating pressure and creating fouls. Those five Jokic fouls that weren't in the paint, many of them weren't for free throws just because the rest of the team wasn't drawing enough of those fouls that they can get in the into the bonus. Whereas mm-hmm. the Lakers were seemingly living in the bonus. So even when those off, you know, away from the play or, you know, just getting into your set or running a cut or, or not direct scoring actions were drawing fouls, it still led to free throws. So putting yourselves in the right situation is is the best way to go. Um, I do worry for this next game if instead of if let's assume Jokic plays his full minutes with how the Lakers normally do their rotations where they're about 50-50 big ball small ball if Jokic does get half of his minutes instead of playing, you know, half of the first quarter and then like a minute of the third quarter if instead of that he's getting 5 or 6 minutes every single quarter against the Lakers small ball I think that bodes much better for Denver in terms of their scoring, their shot profile, them drawing fouls. I talked about Jokic scoring more, getting his assists, and getting more offensive rebounds playing Lakers small lineups. But if you look at Denver as a team, about 70% of the shots that they took when the Lakers played small and Denver had Jokic out there were either directly at the rim or corner threes compared to more like 55% when the Lakers had their big lineups out there against Jokic. So or I'm sorry, just just for the rest of the game, not including when Jokic was out there um, or or with him. Jokic didn't matter for the rest. Just um, Mm. Jokic versus small ball was at about 70. Uh, The rest of Denver's offense for the day was was more like 55-60. So we were tangibly able to change their shot profile, and by them not attacking inside, they're not drawing as many fouls. So uh, you will have games like this. I think the fact that you get Dwight and Jokic Doing, you know, playing the little game they play Where Dwight's going to do his hand fighting He's going to push you up hard He's going to bury Jokic under the rim And on the other end, you have Jokic flopping You have him hooking arms Which we saw him hook KCP's arm in the first quarter And you see, go watch the film You see KCP point directly at I believe it was Scott Foster saying You know, he's grabbing my arm That was the ref in the exact same situation That got Jokic a key foul later in the game because not, not just that these refs are making bad calls, trying to make it about themselves, but because the Lakers, it was happening all game and the Lakers pointed it out to the ref and said, hey, this is happening. He does it at this spot on the court, look for it. And they did look for it and it was there and they called it. So the Lakers, instead of just saying, oh, that was awful, oh, that was great, they communicated to the refs about what was happening, what to look for, and we saw that payoff later in the game. That got a, a key foul in Jokic. And then the crazy part to me is even once he was in foul trouble, I think he had four fouls at this point, he was doing it still. He was still doing it. He got a, a foul called on Caruso doing it at the end of, end of the third quarter. Um, so, you know, if you stick Jokic and Dwight together, fouls are probably going to be called no matter who's calling the game just because of how much is going on. If there's even a somewhat balanced foul ratio there, that severely benefits the Lakers just due to how important those two players are to the two teams and how, you know, Dwight can play with four or five fouls. If Dwight fouls out in the third quarter of every game this series, that's not necessarily a bad thing Bad thing for the Lakers because they have extra bodies to throw at Jokic. But if Jokic is picking up two or three fouls per game against Dwight, he's going to be sitting more. And when he's not playing, uh, Murray's not going to be able to score effectively because then we can, uh, you know double-team or, or hard-hedge those pick-and-rolls, and it just it it ruins everything for them. So th- I'd, I'd play that gamble every single game, and if Dwight gets into foul trouble and fouls out in the first half in game three or game four, you live with that because you're going to have games like this where it's somewhat balanced, and it benefits the Lakers much more than it does Denver.
1: So I have a new stat to propose to you, Tim. It's called the pinball assist.
0: Ooh, tell me about it.
1: Now, the pinball assist is extra points created when you push your defender into your offensive player to create an and one, which is what Dwight Howard did to Paul millsap a hundred percent next level it's so and this is something that I really do believe so this stuff really happens where right Mike Malone was really upset and talked about his his Dislike for the officiating. I, I guarantee you there's some Denver video guy cutting together all of the times where Dwight Howard pushes off, elbows you, just bought, you know, stuff that that is a foul that Dwight right. Howard gets away with on a regular basis. And I bet you dollars to donuts, Dwight Howard gets two fouls in the first three minutes next game. Because he's a will start, I think. and And I'm not saying that this is like some NBA ref conspiracy. I think that... He should get some of these fouls, right? Their system is working because he's he fouled Millsap, and we got a three point play out of it,
0: right? You know, it's like it, it's like watching a football game where you can try to find holding if you're looking for holding, mm. and if you literally put all the clips together and you send them to the ref and say, "Hey, look for this," they may be more aware of it. And and it's not that they'll see three fouls and only call two of them they're going to call what they see and if they know what to look for yes. and when to look for it and who to look at they're going to see it more often so I, I agree with you I think both of these players need to be careful because the Lakers clearly know what Jokic does and they've let the refs know I imagine that Denver is going to do some of the same things about Dwight one thing that I think we should probably see from Denver is try to get Dwight off of Jokic early in possessions if, mm. if the Lakers are going to give you switches If they can just run a really really quick Pick and roll the second they cross half court Or a second after they cross half court And try to get Murray to attack Dwight downhill Even if if nothing's there you pull it out And you have a mismatch If something is there go ahead and attack um, But either way get Jokic off of get, get Dwight off of Jokic As early as you can in a possession So there's less opportunity for Something to be called in that situation And then have Jokic try to go to work So that's another adjustment I expect to see from Denver. It doesn't need to be super complicated. There are different ways to do it, but that should be a point of focus for them.
1: And the chances that Jeremy Grant, Tory Craig, Paul Millsap are going to take Dwight off the dribble and get a bucket at the rim are not great. You know, I think Dwight mm-hmm. d- does have enough foot speed and recover ability to, you know, contest their their floaters, layups, or just not even let him get there. Um, right. So. What about uh, the Lakers on more of the offensive side? We talked a lot about their defense. Uh, how we talked about yesterday them putting pressure on the rim, right? Verticality, downhill pick and rolls. What did you see like with the Lakers? Because I thought they, they attacked really well. I thought LeBron, you know, he's great at isolating a defender, and he went at P.J. Dozier, Monte Morris, guys without the size that, that he can really get to the bucket and get his shoulder in front of even Millsap and Grant, you know they are he was drawing legitimate blocking fouls on these guys time and again. How does that put pressure on Denver's defense, and how can we get even better at that in game two?
0: Yeah, I think the Lakers approached this game from from a really smart uh, perspective, and they were able to pick some matchups for LeBron and let LeBron go to work. Um, they were able to do the same for AD. We talked last pod about how Denver during the regular season would double team AD post when he had his back to the basket. So we rarely did that. I think he only had like two or three all game. What he was doing instead was attacking as a role man, attacking uh, facing up or attacking, you know, spotting up or isolating from the perimeter where you can't send that extra help and you can't try to turn him into a playmaker. As long as AD is allowed to be a scorer and a finisher in this series, he's going to be in his bag, getting the shots he wants. He's not going to hit all of them. We, we've seen him kind of fall a little bit back down to earth with some of those mid-range jumpers. But I think for the most part, he feels pretty comfortable. And, and in a lot of the mismatches that he's able to get, he is just able to finish over them. We saw that one play where he drove on, I think it was Jeremy Grant, and then just kind of almost stopped on a dime. And his, you saw his legs kind of kick out and uh, Grant got a blocking foul, and, and he almost, it wasn't quite a floater, but it was like a, he floated and took like a jumper while he was in the air, it, it just in a funkier way than a normal pull-up jumper. But just little things like that, where he has that body control to be able to find and and go after those sorts of shots, I think is just really beneficial for LA. We've seen how poor the rim protection is for Denver, and that has enabled LeBron to go attack creases that aren't quite there for most players but for lebron they're there and just go at this defense go at those perimeter defenders you know run our pick and roll get some mismatches force some switches and then go from there you know this was also a game where we pushed a ton in transition and i think kcp alone had 11 points in transition on just like four uh possessions so like almost Three points per possession. That's like 2.75 points per possession. Um, He killed it. That was a huge part of his offense today. Or yesterday, I should say. So just running as much as you can after makes, after misses, after turnovers. We saw Jamal Murray's uh, vision that can be limited in a lot of situations really come out. And we saw the Lakers send those hard hedges against him and him turn the ball over three times. And and LA get some runouts. I I like LA's chances to just be able to continue running on this team and take advantage of the fact that we have bigger guys that can move like AD and Kyle Kuzma that can slash and attack. And we have several players that can be our ball handler and push. And the fact that Rajon Rondo is willing to throw lobs definitely changes the way the series looks in just a tiny way because I think it was already skewed in LA's favor. The same with LeBron, just throwing those lobs, attacking the space vertically with Anthony Davis or JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, it's just something that, you know, from a rim protection standpoint, Denver's not able to stop drives. They're not able to stop lobs. They're, you know, okay defending the post, but when AD is facing up, he's able to get to his spot. So the Lakers are getting what they want and there's not a whole lot Denver can do about it unless they want to start being way more aggressive and just trying to give LA four on three situations and hopefully for the for the Nuggets, get the right Laker players in positions to play make that aren't usually in those spots.
1: So another adjustment I, I would expect to see is P.J. Dozier. I think Monte Morris is a solid player who just cannot physically match up in this series. When you, you drop coverage on Monte, there are so many hands. There was a possession where it was, I think, Kuzma and, and Dwight Howard, and I was just like, wow, this this guy has no chance to get a pocket pass off a pass over the top you know the only thing you can do is really swing it back out to the to the top and like a jumping so i i just really liked what i saw from pj dozier in the seeding game against us and as well as the garbage time minutes he is confident in shooting a mid-range pull-up which if the lakers are going to be dropping coverage is going to be the open shot that they want to give you but he he made up a made a couple nice plays uh, there, and he's got a little bit more size and versatility on the defensive end to you know not get switched on a LeBron James. I mean, he's going to get us a lot. What I'm trying to find reasons, Tim. Like this is really tough. I think Denver's a very I'm good team, couple? but come yeah. on, man. Like we're this is not gonna. I regret picking the Lakers in five. Is what I'm feeling right now.
0: <laughs> I feel about I feel good about Lakers in four. Yeah. let's talk about PJ Dozier yeah. because this is somebody who I had no idea about until 12 seconds ago when I pulled up his player profile on bball ball Index. Um, in our $5 data and tools package, we have these, among all the different things we have, one of the the cool tools that we have are these player profiles that we have um, everybody in the league in here. I just quickly typed his name up, pulled his profile up. I can see offensively he plays like a point guard. Defensively, he's more of a wing stopper. Yep. Um, he's 6'6", 205. Um, he's offensive like, role or archetype. Is more as a secondary ball handler. He's not really initiating the offense, but he's going to do guard-like things, but more in like an Alex Caruso kind of way. Yep. Um, some of his top strengths are his off-ball movement. He's got a little bit of uh, shake to him, a little bit of one-on-one game. Um, his playmaking is actually something that he's not too bad at. Uh, he, we have a couple metrics that look at your your pay- playmaking volume. He's a B plus. His uh, efficiencies in F, he'll turn the ball over a bit. But from a uh, versatility standpoint, in terms of the types of passes he'll make, he's actually an A-, minus, which is probably one of the better marks on Denver. So if if you need somebody out there that's able to run some pick-and-rolls and make those reads, he might be able to do a little bit of that. Um, he's not the best finishing at the rim. He's not the best perimeter shooter. But you had mentioned that uh, defensive versatility, that is actually something that we have a metric for. When mm. you look at the percentage of the time that he is spending de- uh, defending different offensive positions, so point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, center, if we look at how often he's defending all those different groups, he actually, uh, in, in the spread there and the range and, and really getting a sense for the variance, he has a B, uh, positional versatility rating defensively, higher than 67% of players. Yeah. Um, so now I can, I'm going to do this on the fly. I'm going to go over to our leaderboards tool, uh, plug in versatility, um, and then I'm able to go ahead and filter down to just Denver. We can see what his rating is uh on the team. So from a defensive versatility standpoint, the most versatile defenders that uh, Denver has are Jeremy Grant, who's in A, has an A grade, Porter has an A minus, Barton, who's not playing, has a B plus, Torrey Craig is a B plus. Um, Dozier has a B, Millsap has a B minus, Jokic actually has an F. He's yeah. somebody that they, they do a really Chuck they try him. really hard not to switch him <laughs> on two guards. And we can see that in this metric. Only yeah. is a D. Uh yep. Murray's a C plus. Gary Harris is a C. Monte Morris is a C minus. So when we talk Morris versus Dozier, Dozier's an upgrade in that regard. Overall, I'm not sure he's an upgrade. But if if Denver just wants to try to give the Lakers a different look, and they're really worried, you know, from a, just from a defensive standpoint, how they're going to be able to defend L A. Because I think that's really where the issue is for the Nuggets. I think there are things they can do offensively to set themselves up better, but defensively, they're you know they're not talented. They have less uh, speed. They have less force. They yeah. have less, they're, they're not able to jump and contest those lobs. So if they can throw an extra possible good defender out there and you know what, let's take a look at his defensive impact. I'm just, um, it's,
1: it's it's an option. He has a B-minus,
0: right? PIPM, defensive PIPM. He has a B-minus. Uh, so there you go. I didn't know who this guy was two minutes ago.
1: Yeah, he had um, a cup of coffee with the Lakers.
0: Did he really? Yeah. Man, was, it, was this a summer league guy? Yeah, uh, and
1: uh, I'm pretty sure guys like Ben Rosales and Mike Garcia are are down for the PJ Dozier, you know. Okay. Um, They're probably
0: laughing um, at us right now.
1: But you know, for some of the reasons, he's he's kind of this weird three on D in, in off ball, yeah, secondary ball handler on offense, which is not unuseful. You know, it's 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 it can be valuable if deployed in the right way, and and for a team that li- that really lacks defensive options, you know, if they can get. 15 minutes out of him uh, better than Monte Morris, it really takes the load off of of Jokic and Murray having to score that many points to make up for it, right? And it's all that negative feedback loop for them of we're getting killed on, uh, on on offense, for the Lakers offense, so we have to keep scoring more. We have to find a way to be able to slow these guys down in some way, some creative way, because our personnel doesn't really allow us to take away the things that they're good at. So, you got to find stuff. You got to nick nurse and box in Boxing one for a couple possessions, right? You got to find stuff as a coach. And I hope to see a little bit more PJ Dozier cuz I think it could make it interesting. Uh so we're getting to to the toward the end of the show here, Tim. I've talked about a lot of my thoughts, adjustments. Anything else you want to react to in game 1 or kind of look forward to for game 2?
0: Yeah, I would Expect to see maybe some zone from Denver. They might give it a try. Um, I don't necessarily think that it'll work, but I think that might be a way that they decide to operate just to give the Lakers a different look and to try to slow down LA. Um, like I mentioned before, Denver should be doing what they can to get Jokic into the post as soon as possible after switches. Every you know, if it takes an extra eight seconds to get him set up and get him the ball he has all of a sudden five seconds left to operate instead of 15 or 10 seconds. So those sorts of things, um, instead of picking and popping when you know the Lakers are going to switch, have him get to the, the post, seal his guy, bury that dude, and and try to post up those guards, uh, do what you can to get the white off of him. Those are, I, I haven't really thought as much from the Lakers' standpoint just because they've been so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but from Denver's standpoint, that is what I would expect to see. Um, for LA, I mean, Keep doing what you're doing. I think you can fine-tune the rotations. I think you can look to mirror Jokic's minutes with Dwight um, and, and maybe JaVale if Dwight's in foul trouble. I I, I really like what I saw from the Lakers. I, I think a lot of these advantages aren't going away and will be hard for Denver to really adjust to. Um, I want to see more off-ball switching if if uh, Denver does happen to be tr- trying to target those mismatches. Um, I think one benefit of... Jokic getting the ball in the perimeter and dribbling his guy down to the post rather than going to post up and then getting the ball, is if he does go to the post and, and then get the ball, that gives the Lakers a, another split second to try to switch off ball and, and get a better matchup on him. So Denver really needs to pick their poison, but either if he's operating from the perimeter, you got to get in his face and make him work for it. But if he is trying to just seal and bury and get down there, send an extra dude, scramble that guard out of there and, and try to Negate the potential mismatch, keep relentlessly attacking that rim. Um, I mean, all the things that worked for Utah and the Clippers, we're seeing work for LA, they're just doing it more, they're built better for it. Um, if we stack up all the rotation players for the Clippers, for the Jazz, and for the Lakers and, and rank them by our finishing talent grade, three of the top five players are Lakers. The second Clipper doesn't even show up until you get past five Laker players. Um, so like we're just so much better equipped to attack that rim and also run on Denver. And by doing those things, that is how you're going to draw more fouls. And we're not going to see a lot of what we saw in game one, just stop moving forward. I don't see this uh, series just changing drastically. And I don't see this as just a game that Denver lost because they were tired or they had an off shooting game or just because of the refs. This, this to me, I, I leave this game feeling really confident in Lakers in four or maybe five, but I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'll be, doing a little bit of early scouting on uh, Boston and Toronto, depending on what happens in tonight's game.
1: Uh, one tweet I saw that was very appropriate. Shout out to Raj Unwritten Rules. He said uh, the the greatest compliment the Lakers could give the Nuggets is to sweep them, <laughs> which is a sign that the Lakers are locked in, right? That they're taking this seriously. And we've seen them let up to lesser teams than the Nuggets because they lost game one to the Blazers. and." definitely would put the nuggets ahead of the blazers we're gonna get out of here tim we're uh we're gonna be happy to join you all again after game two um excited to watch the lakers play in the western conference finals and soon to be the finals man
0: it's crazy it's uh, this is the first time since we've really like been on twitter doing this stuff that la is, is has reached this point so it's exciting it's surreal um i hope everybody's enjoying all these games we've We've won nine games. We only have seven left, so we're more than halfway there. Uh, so just enjoy every game. Consume all the content you can. Uh, talk all the trash you can. I don't really know any Denver fans. I don't know how many are out there, but I'm, I'm sure we'll find them as the series goes on. Even if Lakers win the series in four games, it might only take two or three for, for those Denver media accounts to start start a, you know having crazy rants on their podcasts or be blocking people or go private. So uh, enjoy all the fun and the shenanigans. Um, But, yeah, I'm I'm excited for Game 2.
1: All right, man. We'll get to you guys next time. Take care.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.